0: Hey guys, it's Cam here, and we need your help to do something that we think would be pretty incredible. We want to put PY onto Deal or No Deal by the end of the year. And in order for our podcast to do that, we probably need to rank in the top 10 history podcasts. At that point, the Channel 10 execs would look at PY's application and think, you know what, we benefit more than this guy does by having him on our TV show because we get access to a top 10 history podcast audience. Now, to get there, we've come close. We've hit 11 once before. To get there and to cement ourselves in the top 10 history podcasts in Australia, we need to double the size of our audience. So if you just tell one person about the Mr. M History Podcast, if you know someone who is remotely interested in either history or just Australian culture generally, if you get just one person onto this podcast, you are helping put PY onto Deal or No Deal and you will have the best free-to-air TV experience of your life. So get on the subreddits, get in the core of forums, wherever you think people might enjoy this podcast. Get the message out there and most importantly, get PY onto Deal or No Deal. So last night, I couldn't get to sleep as it's quite often the night before a podcast. <laughs> but I, I was up, I was thinking about just different ways of categorizing primary school houses because mm-hmm. as we've spoken on the pod before our old primary school had a very colonial flavor to its houses mm. and it's probably on a very limit if not already it's on a very limited lifespan as to when it's gonna get phased out and so I'm like mm-hmm. trying to just get ahead of the game and think what, what what could the next generation of house colors be because surely when you hit the year like I don't know assuming that Australia is still a society in 2000 in 2300 you're for house colours, which I'm hoping will stand the test of time, if Australian mm. society doesn't anyway, what what do you like? Surely did they evolve? Like are they just are you just locked mm. into your, your your primary school house colours and your house names for life?
1: Yeah, I feel like the colours. There's
2: no reason. I don't think there uh, sort of are. <laughs> <laughs> inflammatory. Sure. Something in that, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're all um, prime colours, aren't they? Not green. It's yeah, not and a, green. yeah, primary. Um, but <laughs> I like prime
1: color. It can't be divided by any other color. Um, but I mean, I guess primary. yeah, prime and primary. Yeah, I see the et- the etymology there. And they're basically the Someone same. Someone could have called them prime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i yeah, like, like mean I'd, like the semi king. Like it's a color. Like you know, you can't. It's not made up of anything else. It's just it's yeah. Name.
2: Why not do like a lilac or gold that'd be alpha yeah mm.
0: Mm. so i was thinking through <laughs> rust like, orange yeah there's not really many orange houses out there yeah. like i know in at at the high end private would, schools mm. you have like you have like eight or nine houses often with yeah. like your black house and your, yeah your golden house and that and whatnot i think they're going to be the last dominoes to fall in terms of keeping colonial house names hmm. um so i was thinking okay what, what, what do you remember what you wore on harmony
2: day True orange, yeah, hey, of course. <laughs> um. <laughs> some funky orange numbers going around. <laughs> Three-quarter shorts. <laughs> so,
0: I was thinking... Or pants. What can we rename primary school houses to that keeps Australian history at the heart of it? And it doesn't just, like, you know, you don't call a house like Shane Warne or whatever. Like, I don't think mm. we're quite at that point
2: yet. They should have some sports relation, though, maybe. That's all... We only really use them for sporting yeah, things. Right? Like yeah, like Bradman, Freeman... Andrew Gaines. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey Edwards. <laughs> Mickey Edwards.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Curious, like that. Yeah. But yeah. Rafter. If we Margaret Court. Yeah, and uh like, we don't, <laughs> open, don't open too many tabs here. No. The should primary school houses be involved in the academic aspect of schooling life? That that's probably a separate tab, which is it, which is very much worthy of conversation, don't get me mm. wrong. Um I will start with just renaming the house. If you want to keep a historical flavour, if you're in Melbourne, which was effectively the capital city before we built Canberra, like it had parliament and whatnot. Do you name your primary school houses after those original parties in Australian parliament? So rather than having Cook or have... <laughs> You're cringing quite visibly here. Do you have the free traders? Mm-hmm. Do you have the protectionists? Do you have labour? And so I was thinking, okay, how do you feel that fourth party slot? Do you remember when we did yeah. the Federation podcast going way back when...
2: We yeah, had the yeah.
0: we had the merger between the protectionists and the free traders. Mm. Do you remember what that party was called? No, no. I'll give you a hint. Think Cronulla.
2: Think iconic places in Cronulla. <laughs>
1: hmm.
2: <laughs> what? <laughs> this could agonise people. People at home think, oh yeah, iconic places in Cronulla. Yeah. Well, like the the Shelleys,
1: you know the the Kernells, the the.
0: I'm not talking natural landmarks
1: the points bet stadium (laughs) i want to get this
2: i want to go back to the the um primary school houses aligning with political parties
1: (laughs) i I feel like we're circling back it sounds very
2: (laughs) harry potter like just whatever house you're in determines your personality from (laughs) the sorting hat
0: and particularly if we had like an Eton, Cov- an Eton College equivalent, so I know maybe go like Scott, Scott College or whatever, a Scotch College. I can't remember what, whatever, Knox. The, the one, the big one in Melbourne. Okay, where you effectively are creating future prime ministers down the track. Mm. It could also dictate their political allegiances, and you can kind of have control over that at year three.
2: Mm.
0: like and how do you what's your sorting yeah. hat do you come up with like a scenario for a country and and their answer to that said scenario sorts <laughs> them into a i think there's a lot of potential there like you, yeah
2: yeah
1: or maybe uh, you it's just a, it's a neat idea the you're, you're the know. one in the system can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm just imagining like them listening to like a year three give their speech on like you know why football is the best sport in the world and they're like he's an an orator for the future like (laughs) we we need him to spout our ideologies and again like
0: depending on how you frame it and depending on your exposition and your argumentation in the speech that will also dictate what your political persuasion is and therefore what party you belong to hmm. I think there should be an ideological leaning to a political to, sorry, to a primary school house <laughs> I think our primary school houses are too ideologically neutral like they're too just <laughs> colour based like you there's no buy-in into the, the broader vision of the primary school house
2: and that's determined by the teachers at the time yeah okay
0: anyway what well, just the
2: alphabetical order for, we've got a fourth party we need to fill okay uh, blah, beach beach <laughs> <laughs> um, Mm-hmm. Is it like a? Is it a shop?
0: It's 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 a commercial part of Cronulla. It does have a definite commercial flavour to it.
2: Frangipani ice cream. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is very near Frangipani ice cream. Cronulla Curry House. People might go to Frangipani ice cream, or people might have gone to Frangipani ice cream after going to this place, or before going to this place, considering opening hours.
1: The Fusions.
0: Yes, we have the fusion party. <laughs> Of course. Of do you course. remember
2: Do you remember when we dis, Do you remember discussing the fusion party at all? I yeah, feel like I, I feel remember like fusion's coming up. Yeah, at some point we discussed <laughs> the establishment at one time. Hmm. So for those that that are <laughs> unaware, effectively,
0: there's two kind of like nightclub areas in Cronulla. One is Fusion, which is now no longer existing. The other is Northeast, which was probably most famous for uh, destroying Todd Carney's Cronulla Sharks career. Hmm. Um, now. If we go back in time, we have our free traders and we have our protectionists. Now, ideologically, they're actually at polar opposite ends of the spectrum. They're antonyms, right? Free traders equals no tariffs and we trade freely with other countries. Protectionists equals, yes, tariffs so we can protect our own industries rather than importing other stuff on the cheap. So really, ideologically, they're on other ends of the spectrum that they've merged together for political convenience and to have numbers. Because the Australian Parliament at the time had this weird merry-go-round where there was pretty even, There there's a pretty even division between three different parties. The third one being Fusions. That would be they would become the fusion
2: party. Hmm. Is it fusions? No, it's fusion. there's no plural. There's no. Melbourne Storms.
0: <laughs> because they've been fused together. They're not multiple fusions. <laughs> Labour. So yeah, you cool. have Labour, you have the free protectionists, and you have wait, you have Labour, you have <laughs> the protectionists, and you have the free trade. It's been a
2: shocking start to this podcast. Yeah, it's not I don't know if this is content. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. So we have those three parties are in power. Obviously Because what happens is two parties just gang up on the other one to form government, but then that party or or that kind of coalition government always ended up imploding because then one party would just threaten to swap sides if they didn't like what the other party was doing. Mm -hmm. And so it's literally just the case of, like, imagine each of the three of us were different political parties. I'm governing in coalition with Ben, but I want to call it the fusion party. Ben wants to call it the fusions party. (laughs) And Ben's like, no, this is a deal breaker. I'm just going to form government with PY. And then mm. PY decides he doesn't like what Ben's doing So PY comes and forms government with me It's is absolute merry-go-round mm. And Alfred Deakin used the phrase How can you play cricket with three Perhaps you might remember that from the Federation
2: podcast mm. Such an Australian He's never played diamond cricket
0: before <laughs> 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 yeah, He played Zulu <laughs> yeah. So going into the 1910 election This was the first time that we really had two political parties Going against each other It was the first ever Liberal versus Labour straight election. Hmm. So, there weren't three political parties going this time. You had the Fusion Party that then recalled themselves the Liberal Party, which I think was just a great crime. I really wish they kept the Fusion aspect (laughs) of the party. But, again, the the word fusion kind of made it pretty obvious that they had no actual ideology. That, again, we're just... Two become one. Uh, So, they call themselves the Liberal Party and they champion things uh, like individual freedom, like economic freedom. um, And the free traders are sidelined in the beginning of this political party. So, it's the protectionists that are the senior party or the kind of the senior partner, I should say, uh, Mm -hmm. in that particular dynamic. And so, going into the 1910 election, uh, we have... Deacon leading the new Liberal Party into the election. On the other side, we have Labour, and they're led by a guy called Andrew Fisher. Now, Labour had briefly been in government before under a guy called Chris Watson, but when it was the, the three-party merry-go-round, they just kind of fell to the wrong side of a dog shot. And they were abandoned um, by their coalition partner. So, 1910. Andrew Fisher versus Alfred Deacon. Now I don't know how across the 1910 uh, political landscape you guys are. Um, are you fans of, of negative political campaigns? Just want to put that out there. Are you fan of a good a good slander campaign in the build-up to an election?
2: No, I, think it's, not, I think it's distasteful. Yeah, not
0: really.
1: No. <laughs>
0: well, I am. Uh, okay. <laughs> and I think there's not enough of it uh. at primary school captain <laughs> <laughs> elections. And I think, then, if I'm not mistaken, you're a vice-captain. I
1: was vice a captain, primary yes. school. Do you think some some <laughs> slander could have uh, done me good, get me over the line? I do believe so.
0: Either that or pretending to save a drowning person at the swimming carnival. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe I, I could have started, like, he was an athlete, the guy that won school captain. Maybe I could have started sort of misinformation about him having, like, illegal spikes in his in his running shoes or something. Yeah. Just, yeah,
2: or just illegal spike in his Gatorade. Yeah. Yeah, true, true. true. <laughs>
1: yeah. Now,
0: we're pretty accustomed to the negative political campaign right now. And going into 2022, the one that Scott Morrison used against Anthony Albanese was that he called him the Manchurian candidate. Mm. If you, Manchuria, that was basically uh, Japanese. When, when, when Japan invaded northeast China, that was Manchuria that they invaded. They created a state called Manchuko and they appointed a puppet king to govern Manchuko on their behalf. So the idea that Anthony Albanese was a Manchurian candidate was basically a reference to that, saying that he's going to govern Australia, but this time on China's behalf. Mm. And again, like, you kind of watch that back. Scott Morrison acted like he just got really worked up in the parliament. He's clearly workshopped that phrase a couple of times in his focus groups and decided that's the one he's going to stick. But he just pretended to be really, like, impassioned in the debate and called him the Manchurian candidate. And then you see, like, I, I really love it when parliament does the... Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> That's below the belt. As they, some of the other stuff isn't. 1910. Hmm. Andrew Fisher has got to try and run a negative campaign against Alfred Deacon. They haven't exactly perfected the art of the negative campaign just okay. yet. Andrew Fisher. His takedown line against Alfred Deacon. What can you do with a man like that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's really quite open-ended sort of a man like what <laughs> have we just interpreted that it's negative and maybe it's just philosophical and <laughs> yeah yeah maybe it's just like what can you do with man you know what, what, what can man achieve? it yeah it on face value doesn't sound neither positive nor negative it's like what can you do with a man <laughs>
2: <laughs> what can who do <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, I like really <laughs> deconstructing, um, and so basically it was like that was the that was the substance of Labour's campaign. And what Andrew Fisher ran on is he didn't actually campaign on kind of typical pro-union policies like Labor had in bygone areas. His strategy was this guy has kind of flip-flopped all throughout the 1910s is he free trader, is he protectionist, is he fusion, is he liberal? What what is this guy? He's just kind of constantly um, Mm -hmm. changing sides. And this guy that got into parliament on the basis of being a protectionist has now ended up siding with his mortal enemies. And so he actually runs a really effective negative campaign. Maybe, again, maybe just the public hadn't had their kind of horizons brought him to the amazing negative campaigns that would come in future Mm -hmm. years. And what actually happened was Labor won for the first time we didn't need a coalition government. Labor won an outright majority on their own of 42 to 31 seats in the parliament. And Labor was in and they were governing Australia. So, do you remember Andrew Fisher at all on the wall in primary school? The wall of prime ministers?
2: No. Did we have a wall of prime ministers? Yeah, then? we Mrs did.
0: Cooper did, I don't know if...
2: Yeah, right. Yeah, we did, Ben. And I don't remember it. No, not a lie.
0: He's probably, in terms of appearance-wise, he's probably most famous for having the best mustache of any Australian prime minister okay. in history. P.Y.'s is gonna bring it up
2: right now. It's decent mustache. Fifth prime minister of Australia, 1908 to 1909, 1910 to 1913, and 1914 to 1915.
0: That is correct. So the Three first times. So we didn't cover the first one. The first time he was prime minister. Uh, he governed alongside the protectionists, but then he just got dog-shotted by Deakin, who fl- flopped to the opposition to form the Fusion Party. So that was his first stint. So he couldn't really do anything in that first stint. The second stint was when he could actually make moves because he didn't rely on a coalition partner to do anything. Mm. So so he established a, a policy called the Naval Defence Treaty. What this did was this set up nav- a navy for the first time in Australian history. So really, like, just have a think about it, up until 1910... If anyone wanted us, all they've got to do is literally just rock up on the shores and then they've got a stake in Australia. Hmm. So I'm quite surprised that it took until Fisher coming into government in nineteen ten to
1: be like, Hey, maybe we just want just want some boats. Yeah.
0: Yeah, just a tinny even. It was yeah,
1: like- <laughs> crazy to think as well how close that was to the war breaking out as well. Like, you're just a couple of years different.
0: <laughs> and at that point, we had, abs- we had like, zero Navy. And beforehand, yeah. the American Navy had come into Sydney and everyone was like, ooh, that's... Like, kind of like, you know when you go whale watching in, like, Cadell National <laughs> Park, everyone went naval ship watching because, again, these guys grew up not knowing what a naval ship... obviously mm-hmm. Knowing the concept of a naval ship but hadn't really seen, yeah. seen it in the flesh unless they'd been overseas. So, again, um, this is pretty significant. He also establishes a military college in Australia. So, again, a lot of that training had been done by colonial, like by British armies that had trained other colonial armies before. So now we actually have our own military college. Again, like Ben said before, good timing. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, pretty well thought through on Fisher's part. Maybe a
1: little too good. <laughs>
0: oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Talk to me here.
1: <laughs> I, have no subs- I have no substance to what I said.
0: <laughs> what was that? Who shot Franz Ferdinand? Yeah. Just, just, just put it on the table. <laughs>
1: was Did Andrew Fisher shoot Franz Ferdinand? <laughs> Um, Franz Ferdinand, he had a good mustache, didn't he as mm. well? Whoa! Okay, now, now we're cooking. Yeah, I don't know. Just, I'm just, I'm just asking the question. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> uh,
2: okay. Uh, a band called Franz Ferdinand. As yes. Well? Why would mm. they come up with that name? <laughs> <laughs> I think after a hundred years or whatever it was, I
0: think, I think the port. I think you can. <laughs> it's,
1: it's not on the nose anymore. I
0: don't know. In a hundred years' time, we have bands just. I don't know, called like Shinzo Abe. Like, well that <laughs> is that what's going to happen in a hundred years? Time? I don't know. Just putting put mm. the questions out there.
2: It's just, I don't know why they would land on that. Like, oh, let's go after the, let's name our band after the guy who was assassinated.
0: Pretty, like a pretty influential assassination. <laughs> no doubt. Did no shape doubt. The, yeah, the world that we lived in.
2: But we will come on- try What are they trying to say what, <laughs> with that band name? Like... The war is beginning I don't know
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah That's Yeah that's Good question to ask right, Ask the right questions here yeah. <laughs> So On top of that uh, Women's cricket Also has a lot to thank Andrew Fisher for The Commonwealth Bank He did So the Commonwealth Bank Act Instituted the Commonwealth Bank Well Combank can Yes And at that point It was entirely owned By the government Do we, do we remember From another pod Who sold it off
1: so he, so what did the act do that wasn't selling it off the Commonwealth Bank Act Commonwealth Bank was founding the Commonwealth Bank oh that was when he found yeah. yeah okay so got the government owned bank not the same
0: as the Federal Reserve so not a reserve bank but just a government owned bank that could offer interest rates at rates dictated by the government rather than the market yeah
2: what's the link to women's cricket
0: oh I don't, I don't know Ben just mentions Combank on kind of quite
1: a few podcasts oh, in relation to women's cricket sponsor
2: of women's cricket for years yeah yeah they no were like doubt.
1: the real like first investors Champions. in in women's cricket, I reckon. Combank they, Matildas. Yeah, yeah.
0: Where we discussed the Taliban, all
1: summer for years it was always just Combank can, and it's just mm. girls playing cricket. Mm.
0: And the first like when yeah, we discussed familiar, the familiar, Taliban, campaign. Mm. and we thought through kind of like like um, just repression towards women. The first thing that Ben went to was like, "Oh, Combank's not going to like that." That, <laughs> that, was, that was Ben's first point of reference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So um, <laughs> props to their marketing. They've really like ingrained themselves with the identity of women's cricket.
1: They have. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So Full credit. going back to it, was it Menzies that sold it off? No. Ah, sad. Was it a Liberal Prime Minister? No. Really? Yes. Gough Whitlam. No. Damn. Curtin. No.
0: Ah. Oh, Paul Keating. Paul Keating. Yeah. So Paul Keating, and again, so he, that, he took on his own party to actually get that through. Because Labor, it was set up by... It was like a big part of labour history.
1: Not a very Labor thing to do to privatise something like that.
0: Exactly. And that's what the Hawke Kenny government did a lot of. So, basically, we we have them start this Commonwealth Bank. And for a long part of history, it's worn as a badge of honour as this really important part of Labor history that we started this government-owned bank that could help people by by providing finances where need be. This one started... One of the first countries in the world to have maternity leave and workers' compensation. Um, so, again, Fisher's thinking, like, he's like, again, it's the first time that we've got a union party really with actual power at the federal level in Australia. And so his thinking is, let's try and get through as much as we can because we're probably going to get voted out soon enough. We've done the merry-go-round and let's try and create a foundation of workers' infrastructure that the next guys won't be able to undo. He's Achilles' heel. He loves a good referendum. Mm. And Fisher was not actually a huge fan of the way that the Australian Constitution was written. Can we remember who was like one of the primary authors of the Australian Constitution? I promise you know this one. Barton? Barton, mm. okay. Edmund. Edmund. So Ed- Sir Edmund. Sir Edmund. And- Sorry to disrespect him. <laughs> <laughs> and so Edmund Barton wrote the Constitution. Edmund Barton was a protectionist and basically, Edmund Barton is from the party that is now part of the enemy party. Hmm. So, Fisher wasn't actually a fan of the Constitution and he thought it was far too restrictive on the government's power. So, he actually just kept proposing referendums to the Australian people on, on what to do. So, probably the two big ones that he put forward was in 1911, he wanted power to break up monopolies. So, basically, just for argument's sake, just imagine that, I don't know, give me a company. Woolworths. Woolworths. Well, okay, okay, actual example. Yeah. So imagine there was. So imagine there was no Coles, was no Audi or anything like that. Woolworths just become so big that they effectively have complete control over the supermarket industry, and that no one like Richie's IGA can't quite get, can't quite offer competitive prices because everyone knows to shop at Woolworths. So, realistically, the government didn't have constitutional power to basically sell them off into two different companies and make them compete against each other because Mm -hmm. that's restricting on free trade and free commerce. The issue is if you have a monopoly, like free trade and free commerce only works on the premise that there's competition. So the whole thing guiding the free market is we're trying to out-compete each other. That's why we can offer the best wages. That's why we can offer the best prices because we're trying to outdo another company. get rid of that competition, the whole thing that underpins free trade doesn't work. And one of the huge issues with the American economy in the 1920s is that you actually see a, a whole lot of mergers happen together so that now there's actually no competition. You don't have Pearson Hardman versus Bratton Gould. You have Pearson Inspectively, and it's just the one law firm you can go to. Mm. So he said, asked, hey, can we do that? The Australian people said no.
1: Can't get enough of the nostalgic Aussie references?
2: Wait a second, this is in HB
1: and the teacher just rips it off. Well, I've got good news. You can get access to 30 additional podcasts with new additions regularly.
0: There's <laughs> stricter regulations about than buying a gun from US <laughs> states.
1: For just $1.50, you can hear about Ben's school captain campaign, Cam crying about getting a participation in the ICAS computer test and PY never getting his pen licence. She's thought that, no, the guy's name is, is McGill. <laughs> It's, it's written down. It's written, <laughs> we looked at could, I would have liked to see them. It takes two seconds to sign
0: up. He tries another um referendum. This would this would be a little bit later in time, um, where he wanted six areas of government and commerce to have increased powers over. And that's the thing, like everyone when we did the voice referendum, everyone was saying to Albo, like, oh, this is really vague. Like in referendums have to be because it's not the specifics that get debated, and you can only put it on just one sheet of paper that they read. It's just a general question. Do you agree with the sentiment of the question? Yes or no? And the issue is that that can then be worded quite deceptively. Mm. Like, again, like, do you agree with having power to kill terrorists? It's like, like, what does that actually mean in terms of policy? Mm. So he proposed increased trade and increased commerce. And Australia said no. And so people got a bit miffed whenever, like every couple of Saturday mornings, uh, (laughs) they'd have to be lining up, ready to cast their vote in a referendum that they didn't really care about. And that started to make uh, the opposition uh, a little bit more powerful. And it also started to turn the public slightly against Andrew Fisher. We're going to jump across to the opposition at this time. So, Fusion. Fusion, now Liberal Party. Because Deacon was defeated at the 1910 election, uh, there was a new leader up for grabs. There was a power vacuum. What are the two previous factions that are now in this new party?
1: The Free Traders and the Protectionists.
0: Yes. And so, basically, it's a power struggle between who's going to win, will it be a free trader or will it be a protectionist? There's 39 people in the party at the time. It is split 19 protectionists, 19 free traders, Mm. with one person still to cast their vote.
1: Wow, what a thriller.
0: Any guesses who that person might be? The only guy that we've mentioned from this party so far. Deacon. Deacon. Okay. So, Alfred Deacon, he gets the casting vote as to whether the new guy is going to be a protectionist or whether the new guy is going to be an ex-free trader. He was a protectionist. So, everyone's thinking, okay, he's going to cast his vote for the protectionists and he's going to basically stay loyal to his old political allegiance. Deacon decides, nah, I could do that or I could blindside someone. Mm.
1: Loves the drama. They're
0: not going to play a hidden immunity idol right here. <laughs> and so sure enough, Deacon actually cast his vote for a free trader, a guy called Joseph Cook. Mm. Here's trouble. Cook's in Australia. <laughs> Where have we heard this story? <laughs> Captain Cook, Joseph Cook, Alistair Cook. Always mm. been issues for Australia. So Joseph Cook, he becomes the new leader of the... La- of Sorry. Joseph Cook becomes the new leader of the new Liberal Party. And so, they actually get ready to compete in the 1913 election. So, Fishers had three years in power. 1913, one year away from Mm. it all going down. So, talking about nail biters here, the 1913 election, 37 seats were won by Labor. 38 were won by the Liberal Party. Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine Koshi on election coverage that night? If Green would be losing his mind. (laughs) (laughs) And so... That was very good for the Liberal Party, because Joseph Cook, after just only three years in the wilderness, leads them back into government. But there's an issue. or what? In the Senate, labor wins 29/7. Oh. Now if you're labor, what's your move what are your moves here?
1: You're just going to block everything, right? Yeah.
0: Now, in terms of best blocks of all time, one that comes to my mind is LeBron on Andrea
1: Agadala. Yeah, you know it's got its own Wikipedia page called the Block. Really? Yeah,
0: I've That's watched
2: influential that. maybe
0: five basketball games live, and I watched that one live in my life. Huge. Yeah,
2: yeah. Was that was that 2016? It yeah. was 2016. Finals. Yes. Yeah. Remind me of uh, the kind of stage of the game at that point.
0: So it's it's split three like the the game the, the series is split three three right yeah. at that point, and it's going into the final game. So, I think... I think so. Golden State were up 3-1. And yep. then Cavs yeah, brought it right. back to 3 all. Mm-hmm. Again, I know, like, they're in, they're four they're facts about basketball. This is one of them. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yep. <laughs> they're in Golden State. So, they're playing in San Francisco. And it's oh. fourth quarter and scores are pretty level at that point. Yeah. I think it's, it's either immediately before or after Kyrie hits this huge three. And then, I think... I think it might be before. I can't remember. But, yeah. He needs... He needs to not let this two points go in. Yeah. There's this fast break. Runs down. Just beautiful. Gorgeous. LeBron.
0: So, just imagine that, but the Australian Senate doing it to the lower house. Mm. So every time Joseph <laughs> Cook tries to pass something, Labor, of course, reject it. And they're like, oh, no, you're being so unreasonless. Government, they can't even do anything. Hopeless government, right? And Joseph Cook's like, yeah, because you're blocking me from doing anything. Mm. Uh, and we have, we have a real tense standoff. Again, another case for just abolish the Senate. Just putting it out there.
1: <laughs> now... So, you're anti-Senate, is that what you're saying? Oh, it just
0: slows everything down. Like, okay. it's it's a way of stacking the upper house with... with so, you don't vote for your representative, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like the lower house where you vote for the person that's in there. Mm-hmm. You vote for the party. The party chooses, generally, someone who is not good enough to get into the lower house, but they are quite influential in the party, and they just throw them into the Senate. So, you often have power brokers within the party that are there. And then, at the same time, because it's not based on seats. It's generally just representative of what people think in particular states. You just get your rando minority parties that just end up blocking stuff like Kevin Rudd's emissions trading scheme that are just, again, and you get like Jackie Lambie, all that. Like, because Tasmania gets such a, you know, disproportionate number of of seats compared to its population. You end up with these randos that are just in there <laughs> that are like, yeah, effectively just blocking stuff through. Paul Enhancer's in there, just becomes a chamber for cultural stuff that doesn't really matter.
1: She's the LeBron of, of our
0: time. It's very... You know, yeah, like, <laughs> again, Jack Jack Lang had a point. Is all I'm saying.
2: What do you think was the best season of the block?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing, right? Um, I am looking to enroll my uh, yeah, uh, nearly six-month-old son into swimming lessons. Okay. And I go on... Look, I looked in the different areas around the Southern Shire to try and enroll him. Yep. Uh, there is one where you go on their swim school page and you look at the lessons from like four months to 12 months and look at them there. And in the About Us section, they put some personalities up there and who's in. And one of them is, I can't remember the name, because I've only watched like one season ever, but it's like Jenny and Steve are most famous for being on season four of The Block. Now they choose to run a swim school. So I'm whatever season they were on, I'm like, I could be in yeah, the presence okay. of, of, of Block contestants. <laughs> Um, no, I would say the season that had
2: Polly and was. I can't remember who they are. I just remember okay. that name. Fair enough. Fair enough. Seven a Block. <laughs> <laughs> On Channel <general> 09. <laughs> the block All Stars. I don't know. Surely there's <laughs> been a Block All Stars. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, they have to be, yeah. Mm. Do they get into like heroes versus villains category? <laughs> <laughs> Brain versus Brawn. Hmm. Um, winners at War. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of potential there for, for the Block. So, that, that's effectively what the Australian Senate is at, at 1913. The 1913 election is also interesting, just for two random side notes. You probably won't remember this guy. His name was William Lyon. He was most famous for nearly dogshotting Edmund Barton when it came to federation. So, the deal was that Edmund Barton would stand, beside, would stand aside as leader of the New South Wales... Or being New South Wales Premier. Mm-hmm. And then when Australia federates, he gets to be Prime Minister... And the kind of convention was the New South Wales leader gets the prime minister's job because we're the senior colony. But that was the deal between Lyon and between Barton. But when it actually came uh, t- crunch time, Lyon was like, you know what? This whole prime minister thing doesn't sound half bad. Actually, just putting, I think I might end up being the prime minister. And then everyone else was like, no, nah, that's just so dog. <laughs> and they boycotted him and he had to sit aside. He was an independent after that point, And he lost his seat in this election. So we're really seeing kind of like the first generation, like, like Gen 1 politicians start to get phased out and we get this new crop coming through. Mm. So Deacons his, his last move was to vote for Joseph Cook. We Obviously Barton was chilling on the high court and now we lose William Lyon as well. It was also interesting because James Scullin lost his seat. James Scullin would end up being the Prime Minister of Australia later down the track. Mm. So Josh Frydenberg got voted out in the last election. I don't think we're, we're done with Josh Frydenberg with Josh just yet I still think he could make a comeback and be a very senior Liberal Party member if not Prime Minister of Australia so basically it, just put yourself in Joseph Cook's shoes you're trying everything and you're getting the LeBron treatment every time
2: mm.
0: what moves do you have imagine you're in like a Pokemon battle you've got four moves that you can go towards you're not going to use growl because
1: that, that just <laughs> <laughs> <That's> zero damage <laughs> What do you, what's your move I don't know. Do you start like, do you start forming like alliances and cooperating more with the opposition, or do you double down and you go even harder? I don't. I don't what really happens know. if you do double down? Well, nothing really changes, right? Because you're still not getting anything through the Senate. Do
0: you know what happens if the Senate blocks the same bill twice? I was at it. A- Double dissolution? Well, It is a double dissolution. Let's go... Say, so, dissolving both chambers of parliament. That's that's what a double dissolution is. Ah. There was a talk when Anthony Albanese was having difficulty getting the uh, housing fund through last year, the housing affordability fund, because the Greens were holding it up. There was talk that Albo would have a double dissolution only a year after being elected in. He opted mm. against it, got the bill through, um, but it is a playbook up your sleeve if you the Senate is really annoying you. So, to get a double dissolution through, you can't just call a double dissolution. You can't go like, yep, double dissolution, let's go. What you actually need to do is you need to have the Senate block your bill twice. And it's got to be the exact same bill. So, what Joseph Cook did was Joseph Cook basically worded it to be like, we're going to call this the anti-union bill and we want to try and restrict uh, people's ability to unionize. Obviously, he knows that's not getting through a Labor-held Senate. But he sends it to the Senate. The Senate says no. And he goes, look, look, look. These guys are so unreasonable, right? (laughs) They they can't let us pass any laws. They're just holding us up. And eventually, in 1914, in July of 1914, we get the double dissolution. And the Governor-General gives the green light to have new elections in September of
1: 1914. Just timeline. Yeah. Seriously. So, you're telling me that... So, who was was the guy that came in in 1910? The, um, the Labour guy, Fisher. You're telling me he he makes a navy. <laughs> <laughs> he makes an army college or a military college. He goes and shoots France Ferdinand personally <laughs> and then gets out of parliament so that he doesn't have to doesn't have to deal with the mess. Is that what I'm hearing?
0: <laughs> well, I'm hearing the opposite. I'm hearing he does he sets up the military, sets up the navy, then when Joseph Cook comes in, says no to all of Joseph Cook, like has his troops say no to all of Cook's stuff, mm. then goes and shoots Franz Ferdinand <laughs> so that he can then win the next election, come mm. back to power, and basically it was yeah exactly right. So timeline: July of nineteen fourteen, Franz Ferdinand's been shot. Yeah. Now I had a, I've had one in with one run in with Ben's sister in my life. And it did come over the fact, um, <laughs> she did like to parade around the fact that uh, World War One and World War II were both started by an Austrian. I intervened and was like, actually, that's victim blaming. <laughs> <laughs> well, we,
2: we need to change our attitudes <laughs> towards the political argument.
0: assassinations.
2: <laughs> okay, because Hitler was born in Austria? Yeah, Hitler was Austrian. Yeah, okay, okay.
0: Now, again, I think that's a bit harsh on Franz Ferdinand to say he started World War 1. <laughs> he yeah, was die. just going on a leisurely drive. Who 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 shot him? Uh, Gavrilo Princip, a Bosnian Serb.
2: Okay.
1: So, now I'm going to uh, go into that for my sister here. I don't know if
2: she
1: <laughs> I don't think she was meaning he was at fault for the start <laughs> of World War 1. Well, by
0: by the same logic then, <laughs> should Poland have also started did not Poland start World War II by being invaded <laughs> by
1: Hitler? <laughs> just put that out there. I think I think you're getting caught up in the semantics. I think,
0: oh, so I, think <laughs> I, I think it's
1: I think it's I think
2: it's a historical <laughs> sleight of hand here. What mm. did Franz Ferdinand do <laughs> to get shot?
1: <laughs> I,
0: so he was going to be the next leader, so mm. Franz Joseph was his, yeah. was his, so uncle, his uncle I think. I think he was pol- actually his dad. That's his, that's <laughs> and he's going to be the next leader of Austria <laughs> and basically there was debate as to whether Sarajevo, so Bosnia mm. belonged to Serbia or belonged to the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Mm. And Franz Joseph was hardline Franz Ferdinand was actually A little bit more moderate So actually Probably made a mistake In shooting the moderate one And then obviously There's a huge beast Between like Between Austria and Serbia And then Russia goes into Bat for Serbia And then uh, Germany goes into Bat for Austria And then just It it kind of spirals And expands from there What would the So Before The election Before September Germany invades Belgium On pursuit to France Do you -hmm. remember the Schlieffen plan From school? Oh do
1: I ever? Tell us, tell us, Ben. What's no, Schlie- I actually don't remember much about it. Um, the Schlieffen plan. That's not when they talk about Liban's realm, is it? That's that's more Hitler, World War, World War II.
2: Yeah, okay. Oh, I mean, true, of course. Is, the, um, no, I don't remember much was about that the that like plan. Their tactic on how they could, uh, I guess, get control of France?
0: Yeah, wipe out France, so then you can focus all your energy on Russia. Yeah. And World War II, they, did, they just did it much better.
2: It was the plan just to come from more than one position
0: well it's to start it's to start at the north of france and then advance south and to do that you got to go through belgium then you neutralize france entirely and you can focus all your attention on beating russia on the east i see so that was that was effectively the plan in world war ii they did it much more effectively because well probably two reasons one you've got Blitzkrieg, so you've got Mm -hmm. the tanks leading the charge rather than trailing the Mm -hmm. second is all the soldiers are on methamphetamines they can just go 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 Hmm. so and
2: they've done they've, they've done it before
0: well, you, not them personally, but yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> High Command's got got an idea of how not to repeat the same mistakes. Now that Germany's invasion of Belgium brings Britain into the war, because Britain said, if you if you do it, if you, if you do it, and again they they weren't really sure whether it was like uh uh-uh, one more chance, one, <laughs> next time, I, I promise next time. Um, Britain do get involved in the war. It's very much framed as this like fight for freedom. The reality of what it was, it was like absolute concern of a powerful Germany in being able to cut Britain off from their empire. Because powerful mm. Germany gets control of the seas. If Britain can't have free shipping th- through its empire then they're in a big situation. Now, we've got our election going on down under. That's the bigger news story down mm. under is that we've got Andrew Fisher versus Joseph Cook. Mm. And this is round two. Yeah. And basically, this if you were to kind of picture what the campaign would
2: be like, what do you reckon both of them are trying to do? It's one like let's go to war and the other's like let's not go to war mm. no is
1: is it like you're German like is it, is it an anti-German sentiment
0: it would be but we have like we only really had Germans in um in Queensland okay so again both like we're talking every politician up until this point is born in the British Isles somewhere yeah so they've all got British heritage so how might that if they've all got British heritage how might that influence the election so it's not about whether they go to war. It's not about... It is. Oh, I thought that's what PI said. But it's not about whether one goes and one doesn't. Oh.
2: <laughs> how, how hard they go? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, right, so okay. it's
0: like, they're just trying to one up each other. Yeah. So Andrew Fisher comes in and goes, we'll fight to the last man and to the last shilling. That quote's often in a lot of high school classrooms. Um, you might remember the quote, S- save the mother country. Not it. Any- <laughs> <laughs> not- <laughs> might have ended up the school. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So you might remember quotes like that. That's Andrew Fisher. And then Joseph Cook goes, well, Andrew Fisher wants to send 12,000 soldiers. I want to send 20,000 soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> it just becomes mm. a contest as to who loves Britain more and who can outdo mm. the other one more. It was I remember like the start of COVID being a little bit like that in terms of who was the most conscious about COVID. Obviously, there was a huge counter reaction that came later. But this was just before there were like the anti-COVID people. That really mm. came, like, came mm. out of the woodwork. Like in the very beginning, everyone felt like they were trying to one up each other as to how conscious they were over their their hygiene standards and, and regarding, like, say, <laughs> social distancing and that sort of stuff. Mm. Predictions: You reckon one? Who are you backing in the nineteenth fourteen election? The rematch.
2: The, the Cook Cook gets up. Yeah, I reckon the
1: Liberals get up. You would be mistaken. Oh no.
0: Um. Labour actually wins 42 to 32 So pretty comfortable in the end
1: Okay So they extend their margin Yes They only had
0: a one seat margin No, Liberal's only had a one seat margin Oh, yeah Oh, Um, and then it was
1: a Senate Labour Senate Yeah.
0: Yeah And so basically, Cook goes around being like, well, effectively, the Senate just held us to ransom and basically it exploded our government, which is true. That's totally what Labor did. Mm. Uh, Andrew Fisher kind of went, well, at least I was in a government that could pass something. And Cook (laughs) was like, yeah, because you had the Senate. (laughs) That's my exact point. Um, And so I think Australians just wanted, at a time of crisis, they didn't see the Libs being able to get up in the Senate. Mm. So I think they just wanted a decisive government. And that was what drove people towards Labor. Now- 1914 in World War One. Not much happens. Like, probably the big news story is the football match at Christmas. Mm. It's like you've got the Battle of Tannenberg, you've got the Battle of Marne, no territorial gains are made because they're digging trenches from the, the particularly on the Western Front, from the north of France um, down towards, mm. pretty much towards the Alps.
2: Mm-hmm. I have an interesting tangent story, if you want to hear it. About- I do. About... The uh, the influence of World War I in Australia. So basically, at this time, how the NRL has just started. Is Clive Churchill kicking around around about this time? Oh, maybe. Is he? Yeah. The NRL started 1908. He was one of the... He was there at the start, wasn't he? So yeah. you'd say so. You also have the uh, VFL, AFL starting off in Victoria. So two football codes in the two big states and there is an agreement to combine the codes to create a national sport which I think was called universal football (laughs) or has since been renamed as that uh I'm botching the story a little bit but so 1912 this is this is happening this game is starting to take place and trials are happening, and it's going to be introduced. That there's not going to be a VFL, AFL, NRL, it's or it's going to be this game, yeah, versus football. But World War One happens, so that's the reason why we still have. Yeah. Uh, the NRL being very popular in New South Wales and the so AFL in totally Victoria like Franz
0: Ferdinand's legacy is not just <laughs> the band we have him to thank for <laughs> Origin
2: yeah wow. wow yeah and so like yeah yeah I'm not too sure about the rules I think it would have it's hard to say how it would have evolved over time but I think could we have had like if mm. it's if it's big enough so just imagine you combine
0: the the, the, the fan base of both AFL and NRL could that that would mean like away days at Fremantle mm. and then away days at Bankstown?
2: Man, yeah. Fremantle has really so robbed think, Australia. Oh my day! In WA, Union was big at the time in WA, which has since become AFL's prime there. But yeah, AFL got themselves into into South Australia, big in, in NRL in Queensland, and another kind of interesting bit of history is that Tasmania actually had a season where all the the people they like kind of they went and played all the sports and then however many people uh, voted on what would be the sport that they would be playing so this is including soccer as well at this point so NRL uh, AFL soccer union and AFL one by one vote so what was second union uh, i don't know but wow. it was it was only one vote that decided that, yeah, AFL AFL is Tasmania's
0: sport. And if we missed Mm. that one vote, we wouldn't get the Bev show. The
2: (laughs) Bev show. I am livid. (laughs) Go on the Canes. Yeah, he's good. He's good for you. Wow. Find out how World War
0: I ends for Australia next week. PY also talks about his favourite judges from The Voice. Get him on Deal No Deal.